I know Lisa don't ghost us on last week's episode of Bewitched Banter's Haunted Places episode. This week, Amy and I are going to respectively ask you not to ghost us for real. We recorded these bad boys months and months ago. This is when we were babies and newbies to podcasting. So really appreciate you guys listening. And this audio, just heads up, may not be the best quality, but the stories are on point and we've got some great conversation between the two of us. Banter as always that you can expect. Please stay tuned and thanks again for listening. The cards don't lie. I see some F-bombs coming in this episode of Bewitch Banter. You have been warned, content is not suitable for all listeners. You're listening to Bewitch Banter. I'm Krista, and I believe that people are inherently shitty. And I'm Amy, and I tend to believe that people are naturally good. But ironically, I'm a super believer in the supernatural and all things spiritual. And I'm a total skeptic. We're best friends, and in this podcast, we're seeking to explore and understand each other's perspectives with deep dives into the spooky, the spiritual, the magical, and the mystical. And what I would like to call some straight-up spooks. Today, we'll be covering tarot cards. Cheers, Cheers to that. This is like Krista's subject, by the way. I was going to say, so I'm a subject matter expert on this. <laughs> and later we'll be having a little surprise involving Amy and Tarot. Nah, you're going to read them to me? I might. Okay. I might just. I'm excited. As you can see, uh, for the viewers, or for the listeners, rather, I, I have a set of cards that's show and tell today and a book on how to read them, which I'll cover later in my case. But... Anywho, it's going to be a nice little show and tell day. So, so cheers to that. And why don't you say let's get spiritual? Fuck that. Let's get cynical. So before we even dive into like, I know you're going to do the history. Mm -hmm. I think you should tell our viewers a little bit about like your journey with your tarot cards. Why why this subject means so much to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking that. I, I have that. Um. I was going to share a little anecdote that happened to me when I was about 16 or 17 years old. Um, And as you know, for me, I've been personally interested in tarot and practicing it myself for others um, more seriously for about the last year or so. But getting my actual cards read is not new to me. Um, As I said, I um, have had them read uh, when I was 16 or 17 years old. So your parents would take you? No, I would take myself or my sister would take me or... So is your sister into spooky spiritual stuff too? Mm, I think she wants to be, but as you know, she's a doctor. So she has to be very scientific minded, you know, but she, I think she believes. I know she has it in her, her spirit to, to believe, but it scares her because her mind is so rational that it doesn't equate with her analytical brain. Okay. You know I what I mean? It. No, I definitely can see that. So the quick anecdote that I do have before I dive into the history, which is quite lengthy, so bear with us, guys. The wild ride of, of tarot. When I was in high school, I was going into writing. I always was interested in communications writing. And I actually was up for a some type of writing scholarship. And one of the, what do you call it, reviewers, scholarship committee folks, she actually invited me over to her house, um, which was in my hometown in Connecticut. And um, she invited me over for this really beautiful, like lavish dinner. And, and it turns out I did not get the scholarship. So I think she kind of felt bad for me. To be honest with you, I think she felt bad for me. Well, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a lot of pressure to pick one person. Yeah, and honestly, I think at that time I was just so non confident 
as the thread through my life, adult life has been. But we're working on that. Um, that she just felt bad for me, like you said. So she had this oh, is it dinner. Like a pity, feel bad. Mm, I don't know because she. Or she, it's like I want to nurture you. It was to me. That's the sense I got. So we had this dinner. It was really tasty, and she ended up through the conversation, which was also a very wonderful conversation. She said, "By the way, I'm a witch." And I was like, at first I was like terrified. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, I would be, I would, even today, I think if someone told me that I would be weirded out. She though, through this experience made me not be weirded out by, by any of this. And it's kind of part of a stem of like why I'm so interested in it now. And so she ended up reading my cards and I was, you know, again, 16, 17 years old, ready to go off to ASU, Arizona State, going cross country, 2,500 miles practically away from home for the first time um, at just 17 years old. And I was obviously terrified. It was a huge risk and a big life change. But she read my cards and she foresaw some things that would happen. And it was actually regarding two of my roommates. And she basically said, one of them, you're going to have a problem with one of them, but don't worry. The other two are going to have your back. And sure enough, something did happen where one of them became so obsessed with her boyfriend and she moved out. She left us high and dry. So it was just me, my friend Stephanie, who we met, my other friend, Brittany. And we were left just like, what the hell are we going to do? And so she just caused a lot of drama, this, this one chick. And then I could... I could probably predict that too, though. There's going to be one bad apple yeah, in no, a group of course, of, of course. But then there's other specifics that she got into. And it was really creepy. So as I said, I was really a little terrified. This woman's inviting me over to her house alone. My mom did drop me off. Oh, just the two of you? Mm-hmm. I was going to ask if there's other girls no. there who really freaked out by her. No, but it was just me. And so later in the reading, what came up was that your mom had a miscarriage between you and your sister. It was a boy. Um, so you have a brother and he's always around you. He's always protecting you. And he comes in the form, and I'm going to screw the name up, of I think I'll have to look it up to be honest with you, but King James flower, these flowers, she said, grow in the shade. Lo and behold, I get home. It's like, so I'm like, oh, fuck, this is weird. Did you believe her? Or do you think I did. She's bullshit? No, I did. And I didn't know at that point, my mom did have a miscarriage. Turns out that was true. But also, I know this is the cynic in me. What's like the statistic? Like how many women do have a miscarriage? Oh, it's that's very... where we need my sister to hop in. But it is high. It's a yeah, very it's like high a, percentage. A lot of more people have it than we realize. No, absolutely. Me being a cynic, you know. No, that's your that's your duty. <laughs> You're doing your due diligence. Um, but no, it it was just really creepy. So it came in the form of this flower. So I drive home. Mm-hmm. It's eight nine o'clock at night, and actually, you know, what? I did drive myself. Side note, because I remember pulling up to the driveway and I was terrified because the light wasn't going on, like the floodlight that normally goes on mm-hmm. in my parents' old house and in, in the garage did not go on. And then I parked. I'm like terrified. I'm looking. I'm like, holy shit, there's these plants that do grow under the shade under these steps that was the way into the back of the house, the way everyone entered our home growing up. And um, I remember asking my mom about what kind of flowers those were. And she told me exactly what it was. And again, I don't recall the exact name, but I think it was called King James. And they're pretty like greens. They almost look like mm, almost like herbs, but they're not. They're just pretty green plants. So she had never been to your house that you know of. That I know of. Correct. That's where we <laughs> get into. You're absolutely right. She might have done a fucking hot reading on my ass. She probably did now that. You say that. But anyway, from that day forward, I became very invested personally and spiritually in any form of metaphysical practices. 
and hence enter why I continue to get my cards read in the future up in Sedona, um, in my hometown. Or Desert Ridge. Oh, God. We're not going to tell that story because that bitch sucked. But going back to the story, I do have a question. Sure. So how was the conversation? So she gave you this information, but you never knew this. So obviously you had to confirm this with your mom. Mm-hmm. How was that conversation? I think my mom was like a little bit freaked out. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I would. I think being an adult, it might to you is it was bizarre, but to me, like, imagine your kid comes home and's like this grown woman is telling me you had a miscarriage. Wouldn't you be a little creeped out? Yeah, I think, and I think, I think she was, but I also believe that my mom. And I think we've discussed this a little bit in the past. I think there's something in my mom's family on the matriarchal side. My aunt, me, my sister, my cousin, I think have some type of something. I'm not going to call it ESP. I'm not going to say we're psychics, but we have some type of intuitive gift. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you it's there. And I, I just it's here and here I feel it. And anyway, Do you have like a story or just a feeling. Yeah, no, I've had I've had premonitions before of things that actually happened like really scary shit. Like I was in a boat accident with Allie's family and my family and we this crazy ass motorboat that was drunk hit my dad's sailboat and I fell face first into the ground. My mom's ribs were broke and we all we got literally lifted on stretchers like by the Coast Guard. What? Yeah, That's crazy. It was really fucking scary. But the scarier part to me, and I had this written down, documented in my journal when this happened. It's my dad's 50th birthday. So we were out to celebrate that on the lake in our hometown. And I, me, my sister, Allie and her sister were all low deck, just chit chatting, having a good time. The girls were at Michigan at the time. Allie and my sister, as you know, went there and me and Allie were just ready to go to college. And I, we were talking, I almost like I blacked out and I had the vision like I like the precognition that I talked about in mm-hmm. episode one. I had I had that. And there's been multiple other things in life where that has happened to me. But that was the biggest like traumatic event that I like. I saw it. And then right after like the vision ended, it, I hear Ali's dad screaming, watch out. And it was exactly what I had just seen. And then boom, my face is on the floor of, of the boat. Man, that's intense. Yeah. So anywho, that was a really long intro. But yes, obviously, I believe that's why we're here. I'm the believer. And uh, tarot being one of the many things that I practice now and believe in. So let me get into that history if you're already. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who don't know, tarot is the practice of divin- divinization, excuse, divination, excuse me, divination or fortune telling using cards with beautiful images on them. Also some numbers. Most of the images are archetypal or universally human. Common examples of archetypes in the tarot are the empress, death, the hanged man, the chariot, and judgment. Judgment day. Mm. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Going to heaven or you going to hell? You don't believe in either, do you? I mean, if I take my bets, I'd definitely be in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) You fucking would say that. But so contrary to uh, what it may sound like, hangman and death actually don't mean those things. It doesn't mean death immediate and impending. They actually more reference the death of the old person or old. So like more so a rebirth, a transformation of oneself. So you're a scary born again Christians. No way. They, I mean, they, the belief they believe, but the imagery is what I'm saying. Like, no, I, I understand. It's like not that you're 
dying, but it's like you're being reborn. Right, exactly. And I guess that could be a scary belief for an upcoming episode. Yeah, <laughs> we be. should do that. Because that shit is no joke. Those people are intense. They're so judgy. I can't even talk about judgment mm-hmm. day. Jesus Christ. Ooh, no pun intended. Hi, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay. So for references, I got most of my information today from three sources. A collectorsweekly.com com article called Tarot Mythology, The Surprising Origins of the World's Most Misunderstood Cards by Hunter Oatman Stanford. A Rolling Stone article that was actually just published in December 2020 by Daniel Danielle Directo Messon called Not Just Woo Woo, Why More People Are Turning to Tarot for Self-Help, i.e. moi, <laughs> and many others. <laughs> and finally, Oh, sorry. Tarotheritage.com blog by Cheryl E. Smith and, of course, Wikipedia. So a lot of sources, but they make for a really good history that I've got coming for you. So So no one's name, like the author's name is like Moonshine. No, no. These are legit. um, Well, the tarotheritage.com Cheryl E. Smith might be a little little hip dip. The Rolling Stone was beautifully well done as always. So anywho, actual journalism is what I'm trying to say. So did you know that tarot reading actually has a formal name? No, what is it? I didn't either. But, you know, I'm kind of fucking glad I do know um, since I'm learning to practice it myself. (laughs) I feel like something I should have known, right? This is from Wikipedia. It is called, this is tarot's formal name, cartomancy. 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 Mm-hmm. So it's fortune telling or divinization using a deck of cards. Forms of cartomancy appeared soon after playing cards were first introduced into Europe in the 14th century. Practitioners of cartomancy are generally known as cartomancers, card readers, or simply readers. Today, cartomancy often connect is often connected with psychics and Satanism. That said, not all tarot readers claim to have a third eye, nor is it rooted in evil from the Rolling Stone article. Third eye meaning they have like a different a sixth sense. Correct. Yep. So third eye is the space in, in traditional um, chakra healing. You space right between your forehead and the middle of your eyes. And that represents a sixth sense, like you were saying. Okay. Or insight into the divine. All right. So the skeptic in you will not be surprised to learn that tarot's roots had nothing at all to do with fortune telling. I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It actually began as a parlor card game in northern Italy, similar to what we know today as the game of bridge. It was played mostly by rich aristocrats and royalty in in their lavish parlors and palaces for entertaining. That's so cool, though. Yeah. So basically, they're trying to like fucking peacock on each other. Like, yo, I'm rich. I'm going to get these artists to like really expensive artists to do my cards just to entertain you but cool (laughs) wow imagine if like solitaire one day became like something that was spiritual (laughs) that'd be so fucking cool i used to play solitaire with my grandmother and i have a little segment about my gram in this coming up later so hey willa what's up before tarot made its way into europe though it is presumed that playing cards to tell one's fortune dates even further back than the 1400s this is a quote from the tarotheritage.com blog Quote, the Chinese invention of games played with little strips of bamboo that you hold in your hands, and it made its way down the Silk Road through Persia, India, and the Arab world. Along the way, bamboo was replaced with papyrus and paper, so therefore the cards could be round, square, or rectangle, and the number of suits in a deck varied. By the 1300s, however, card playing had reached the Mamluk Sultanate. Forgive me out Say there. what? <laughs> a, a, basically a county or a region in Egypt. Okay. Mem- Mamluk Sultanate? In Egypt, I don't know. Per- forgive me. It reached Egypt, and it took on its 
on the familiar form of four suits numbered ace through ten and three or four court cards or king, queen, jack. What's the other one? Joker. So Arab traders and sailors introduced their card games to ports in Italy and Spain around 1370. In less than a decade, cards had peripherated throughout Europe. Playing cards exploded onto the scene as the familiar 52 card deck we still use today. But what a traditional game. There's nothing you can beat then like there's no game you can really compare to a deck of cards. No, nothing. Any time, any place, like transportable, like there's so many games you can make from the deck of cards. Mm-hmm. There's no other game like it, really. I mean, it's kind of genius. It really is. I mean, shit, they had nothing else to do, though, right? So like, <laughs> I know, but the fact that someone could come up with that, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. I mean, they had Netflix and God knows that countless instant gratification shit we have now. <laughs> like so t- you're right. It is. Oh, God. Girl, I'm going to talk about that later. So <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> I don't condone her TikTok use, but I will condone it for this podcast of which you can have full ownership of. Thanks. They do have spiritual. T- I you can just send those to me. How about that? I'm not on that channel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get on it, girl. <laughs> get on it. Um. Great point, though. So speaking of the endless amount of games you can play, think of all the drunk nights we had playing golf using Kings as the lowest face card. Uh, And hell, even back to our college days where Kings Cup, you know, was where you each each suit, each number card had an assigned value or action. The cards as we know them today with the four suits of clubs, diamonds, hearts, and spades all stemmed all the way back to the Silk Road and this Mamluk Senate in Egypt from 1250 to 1517. So it's old. Very cool. To your point. Back to Europe right quick and how the cards got their narrative slash storytelling slash fortune telling qualities. Italian aristocrats showed off their wealth and interest in a card game by commissioning artists to handcraft very expensive cards called Carte da Trionfi, or Cards of Triumph. The game obviously included scoring, and in Italian, the scorekeeping for the Cards of Triumph game was also called Torocini, or plural for Tarocino. Fettuccini. <laughs> I'm hungry again. That's up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> Get me some fettuccine. Oh, hell yeah. Fuck, I'm hungry, girl. I can't you, eat that shit right you're now. You're triggered because I said pasta. Triggered. <laughs> oh my God, so triggered. But Tarocini was the way that the Cards of Triumph game was scored. That was how they said it. So later, when the cards moved to France, French writers, who we'll get into just shortly, shortened Tarocini to Tarot. Okay, I'm following. Okay. So while I know you don't wholly believe in cards for fortune telling, the artist in you would also so appreciate the beauty of and craftsmanship that went into these early designs. The earliest were on wooden blocks and hand carved on. Wow, that's amazing. And hand painted, right? That's amazing. They're stunning. I'm going to show you some in just a second. Um, and that they're so they were hand carved on wood until papyrus came around. And you can find that on our Instagram account. We'll shout it out at the end. Bewitched banter. Wink. The oldest surviving. Here's some photos, Ames, for you coming up. The oldest surviving tarot cards are the 15 or so Visconti Sforza tarot decks painted in the mid 15th century. They're, I mean, they're beautiful. Aren't they stunning? It's like a radial design. It's really cool. And with like just, I don't know, it looks like Arabic font on the top. I don't know oh, if that's it does. what it is that's or really not, cool. but it's just gorgeous. And they were made for rulers in Duché, Milan. I like the black and white better because to me, it looks... More pop, like 
more rustic. Yeah, it just it just gorgeous. The one on the left is is exactly what they found, the artifact, black and white, of course, because it was on a wood plank. Now, the one on the right, the artist took it upon themselves to um, do a rendering of what that card probably would have looked like if they had access to a Photoshop and all of our creative modern. Oh, I love I love the handmade nitty gritty. It's not Mm -hmm. perfect. So much better. So much better. Right. Like, look how gorgeous that is. I have one more photo for you. Hold on. Let me see. Here are some more examples for you in the earlier decks. No, they're all beautiful. (laughs) These, I think, are, you know, not old, old, but old style. Mm -hmm. These clearly like had a printing press. You know, here's some oldies. Oh, wow, I love them. Two hand painted Mamluk from the Egypt cards of uh, in Turkey and two cards from Italy. So Egypt, oh, this is how they transformed. So very like um, kaleidoscopy on the left from from Turkey. And then to the right, there's two that are like, of course, Catholic. <laughs> well, it reminds me of stain, like a stained glass window. Yes, that's the word I was looking for from Italy. And the fact that they could do that was where it's so small and so intricate is very impressive. It's stunning, right? And both of these, those decks that you're looking at came from the 15th century. And you can also peep these on our Insta later. All right, let me get back in it. As the game continued to take off in Italy and Europe, imagery then became paramount to the card game as a whole, and the decks featured narratives, mostly, as I just showed you, in Christian symbolism with priests and monks and people praying. And, and you know, that's because that was their worldview, right? That's mm-hmm. what they knew and the practice and were basically force fed to believe. But anywho, that's, that's- all they knew. Like, as far as being religious, they probably weren't exposed to other religions at that time. Yeah, and if they they were, it was probably evil, right? Yeah, evil or you're batshit cray. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. So this is a really interesting quote from a, a fellow artist, <laughs> a fellow artist and graphic designer, Bill Wolf, who studies, he actually studies design in the aspect of tarot, which I think is so fucking cool. Like, what a weird, random thing to get into. Well, he was a, just a graphic designer. And I think through his studies, he somehow, you know, found the art work. It's like the HGTV show where they're like, what do you and your wife do? And they're like, I name, I like create the name of like crayons. Like, you know, oh my God, I want to do that. Yeah, but I'm just saying like that's, <laughs> if he was on HGTV and he said like, I studied the design of tarot cards, people would be like, what the fuck? No, he needs to go on like paranormal TV. I know, but those people's jobs on that show are just so obscure. Absurdly cool and obscure. But anywho, so this is a quote from him in the from the collectors.com blog. Quote, the meaning of the imagery was parallel to the mechanics of the play of the game. So the random draw of the cards created a new and unique narrative each and every time the game was played. And the decisions the players made influenced the, infu- the unfolding of that narrative. This narrative element gives readers something to latch on to. Wink, wink, tarot readers. In that it relative it is relatively intuitive to look at a combination of cards and derive your own story from them. Well, yes, and it's like the famous a picture has a thousand words. One hundred percent. And so because you could intuit your own quote unquote life from the symbols and the imagery on the cards, the game evolved into a choose your own adventure style game like Magic or Dungeons and Dragons, like my cousins play, which I used to make fun of. But honestly, it's like a whole sub. It's a subculture like it's a cult that we could cover that someday. too. <laughs> That's a cult. Um, but it's actually kind of cool. And there's a lot of intricacies intricacies to D&D. Now, something we can relate to better of what early tarot was like was the game of MASH. 
Remember that shit in middle school? Smash, mansion, mansion apartment, apartment, shack, house. So that's what it really became. I always I put it. Freddie Prince Jr. as my oh, ha- baby. husband. Mm. Mm. I used to have that poster. Mm. 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 Boricua. Anyway, <coughs> I have a type uh, for those of you who don't know. Anyway, uh, anyone out there? Wink, wink. <clears throat> I'm single, ready to mingle. <laughs> Come at me. Slide into my DMs. You're welcome. At Krista Alejandra 1005. <laughs> Is this like your ad for your... <laughs> it's my own personal fucking ad in Craigslist. You're like, the whole reason I started this podcast wasn't because I'm into this stuff. It's because I want to get laid. <laughs> I want, definitely need to get laid. Anywho. <clears throat> and folks, you're going to find I am not shy. I talk about sex. So deal with it. Think just so you know, as you get to know us, not shy at all. So back to business. When the game hit France, however, that's when it really turned into the belief of divination versus just play, like MASH. This is all thanks to a French writer named Antoine Court de Gabin. Don't speak French. That was a Spanish accent. Don't at me. He claimed that tarot came directly from Egypt. When in fact, as we just learned, it was really Asia and the Silk Road, not from Egypt or the Middle East where tarot derived. But Geblin was convinced that tarot's origins were Egypt. He would not back down. So so much so, he wrote... Fake news! Fake news! It's actually kind of fucking is a really early example of fake news, man. Anyway, Geblin went on to write a nine-volume history of the world that was highly influential later in the 18th century and in the interpretation of tarot as a magical and mystical uh, activity. By this time, many European intellectuals saw ancient Egyptians' writings and religions as holding major insights into the human existence. This then gave the cards the greater quote-unquote credibility because all these intellectuals held up Egyptians' religious beliefs. Does that make sense? Like... Mm. Sure, so like architects or or excuse me, archaeologists and scholars really at this time started delving into Egyptian history and folklore and mysticism. And because of that connection to tarot, the cards got more credibility as Oh, okay. Okay. Fortune telling tools yeah, versus follow- just a game of mash. Okay. I'm following. Got it. So Geblin's assertions of the quote, Holy Grail were also taken by another writer, uh, Etlieta? Etlieta. Anyway, he claimed that the signs and symbols not only came from Egypt, but more specifically from the ancient book of Thoth or the Egyptian god of wisdom. This Again, fake news? I think it might be. Okay. Yes, because cards did not come from Egypt. It came from Asia via Silk Road. Okay, so the quote... Another quote from the Collectors.com blog. According to Etlieta, the book was engraved by Thoth priests in gold plates, providing the imagery for the first tarot deck. Drawing on these theories, so that he's assuming these tarot decks existed in Egypt, they did not, to my knowledge. So drawing on these theories, Etlieta published his own tarot deck in 1789, one of the first designed explicitly as a divinization tool, divination tool. And eventually it was then referred to as the Egyptian tarot. I think you're going to get that word by the end of this. You think so? I, I usually am fine. I don't no, know. No, it's okay. Some words just trip me up. Divination. Divination. I got this. <laughs> fortune telling. I'm going to go with fortune telling. You're hooked on phonics. You can do it, girl. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I studied journalism. I can read. Good. <laughs> 
Okay, so bringing it to modern day, finally. According to Mary Kay Greer, hint, hint, this bitch I'm going to cover later. She's a renowned practitioner, educator, and scholar in all things tarot. She is a cartomonic, excuse me, she uses cartomonic reading as it was done back in the day. These readings were much more direct in their conclusion, whereas the new age and modern tarot or oracle style reading allows for massive room for the individual's own beliefs and interpretations. So hence why I think there are so many people who shit on tarot as a fortune telling tool today, i.e. someone very close to you. Corey, <laughs> my husband. <laughs> How'd you know? That's a whole nother uh, story. Yeah, that's another day. That's another time. I I was, have a vivid memory of Krista yelling at Corey for mocking her while she was doing reading her tarot cards. <laughs> Reading his. Oh, that's right. right. And I was like, fuck you. I'm not doing this then. You liked it. Somebody else enjoyed it. But anywho, I, w- I was not very kind, but I was I was reacting in a not mature yeah, way. Corey deserves it sometimes. <laughs> Aw. Okay. So, again, a lot of people shit on tarot as a fortune telling tool because they see how easily you can draw your own conclusions. And it's a card game. Exactly. From its roots, technically, to your point. So this is an example and a quote by my by Mary Kay Greer, who, again, I will cover later. And she's a quote unquote tarot scholar from the collector.com blog that distinguishes between the two styles of reading. A cartomonic reading would sound something like this it's from Mary Kay. Quote, your wife will eat some tomatoes and fall off the roof and die horribly. Damn. <laughs> Can you imagine hearing that shit? Well, first of all, why are you on the roof eating tomatoes? That'd be my whole question. <laughs> like most people eat them in the kitchen. I have no effing idea. Great question. I just thought that was hilarious. I mean, I'm assuming if you're eating tomatoes on a roof, you're probably... Maybe you're cutting them down. No, they don't go that high, do they? No, you're either probably (laughs) drunk or high or something is off about you. Well, hence why she may fall. I don't know. Anyway, that was apparently derived all from the narrative of the imagery and the symbols that were all rec- that were recognizable. In she the- gets that from a tarot card. Apparently, I'm sorry, but I've looked at tarot cards and never thought mm. <laughs> your wife's gonna someone is, someone <laughs> is eating tomatoes on a roof. <laughs> anyway, the point being that example is a really bizarre one that I just thought was hilarious. But but those types of readings that are very specific are all derived from the narrative of imagery and symbols that we all recognize. So like, when you read me my tarot cards tonight, I'd be like, I envision my. So you're gonna on a roof <laughs> be um eating grapes wink wink wine and uh, trip into the pool let's not let that happen <laughs> i mean that actually sounds more appropriate than the other one but anyway so again so this cartomonic reading is very very specific based on the imagery sun moon stars things that all human beings know on this planet In contrast, a more modern or oracle style approach would sound way more vague along the lines of, I can see that you recently had a great disappointment. Mercury is in retrograde. Da 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 da. <laughs> and that was a legit quote from Mary Kay Greer. You sound like my friends from home. So, but this, but okay, so she said da 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 da, and she's supposed to be a tarot scholar. So I'm just going to point that out too. Okay. So the reason modern readings are so open to interpretation circles all the way back to artwork. Uh, as I showed you earlier, um, some beautiful art, if nothing else. As tarot grew, artists took way more liberty in their designs, and that became more personal to them. And they're 
their experiences in life. So obviously, from an artist's perspective, they're they're all individuals, and as they say, art imitates life. So what they draw is going to be only in their brain and mind and soul versus standardized or universal archetypes and symbols. But I think you can get so much into that because when you show someone artwork or someone's looking at artwork, like how it makes one person feel is so different than it, how it makes the other people feel. Mm-hmm. And it's all like from your background and it's like how you input your experiences into the image of what you take from it, the story. Exactly. And um, that's why new age quote unquote readings are so open and so vague and again why people are like that's bullshit because well do they keep them so open because like we've talked about like cold reading is like when you say something and someone has a reaction to it you start to figure oh i'm on to something let me get into this a little bit more that's a great question for the skeptic in you um no i don't think it was intentionally malicious but maybe that's the naivety in me and the believer in me Mm. but i think that as artists right we we create oh i don't think the artists i'm I'm saying modern people today who use the cards oh oh oh, oh. i don't think the artists had bad intent i think the people using the cards today did got you yeah that's Correct. And I'll get into that a little bit more because now the printing press and digitization is rampant and everywhere. People can exactly create whatever they want. And I'll get into that right now. So this is collector.com quote. Most card readers recognize that the associations and perceptions of the person are being read, the, the per, of the person being read are just as important as the actual drawings on the cards. Divination, I did it. Divination cards offer a way to project certain ideas, whether subconscious or not, and to toy with potential outcomes for most important decisions. Thus, the scenes from the picture book, the best illustrations typically offer clear visions of their subjects with an open-ended quality. So as though the action is unfolding before you. So one side, you have very, very clear symbols that are universally human and, and, and global, like again, sun, stars, moon, sea, birds, dogs, you know, grass, mm-hmm. what, what have you. And then you get into cards that are assigned a meeting by the artist. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so today, there are hundreds of styles of decks and seemingly countless spreads from from one card draw to a three card spread to the Celtic cross or the more complex bridge style or the 12 circle card often read in a new year, each card representing one month of the year in a 12 year calendar. In that format, the cards are spread out like a clock. So imagine the 12, the one, the two, and you read them going around to Mm -hmm. do your whole year, which we can take or leave this anecdote, but it's really um, poignant to me, a little triggering because in 2020, um, New Year's Eve, I actually read my ex's cards and in that style of the, of the 12 year calendar. And uh, um, literally, I'm not kidding you, Ames, every card pointed to trouble or making a decision or having to turn around wow. every fucking one. And both he and I, the looked- cards don't lie. <laughs> A little preview of my story. <laughs> and we both looked at each other and we were like, fuck. Well, did he believe in, not to talk about him too much, but no, did he, he believe in He was cards? raised Catholic, but also with Santeria, which is very, to most Americans or Western culture people, like, quote unquote, woo woo. Uh, so he, he has both, you know. Uh, the those those aspects of, of religion foundations but um growing as he grew up he became a total skeptic too um meanwhile i continued my 
spiritualism in path. But, but when you read, so I have a question though. So looking back at that time, when you read the tarot cards, what did you think? Were you like, Fuck. I was terrified. Milty and I looked at each other and we're like, our hearts basically sank. And we both knew there was impending death of our relationship coming. But you probably knew that before the cards. I think I did. I think I intuited it uh, far too early. But anyway, side note is that was New Year's Eve 2020 cut to August 2020. And now we're in August 2021. And he and I are now divorced. So anyway, for me, yes, again, back to my point, I could have interpreted them any way I wanted to have. Sure. But it's a little uncanny that every single one of those cards represented what did happen. Take it or leave it. But it was a personal experience and very um, trippy one still to me to this day. I can see that. But I also could see that you already had this feeling. It was just the visual in front of you made you Mm -hmm. feel a certain way. Yeah. Bingo. And that's the beauty of reading Mm because it helps you. uh, When I do a reading, I'll get to it later. I don't consider myself a fortune teller. I do not. We're doing Um, the tarot card reading at the end, right? Yes, ma'am. Be prepared. So... I don't consider myself a a fortune teller by any means, but I do believe like exactly what you just said, that these images can give be a tool for anyone looking to make a change in their life or professional or excuse me, personal development. Like, yeah. Anyway, moving on, because that shit is real depressing and I'm in a very good place a year plus later. So the most popular method of cartomancy, which again, from the top is using cards to tell a fortune, is used uh, with a standard plan deck and that game is called the wheel of fortune here the reader move removes cards at random and assigns the significance of them based on the way they were chosen though the interpretation of various cards varies by region there's always like common significators for the future like king queen so your face cards and your numbers all have a value we don't have time to get into it right now but if you are interested uh, look up cartomancy the wheel of fortune and you can kind of see what each of the you know queen of diamonds, clubs, etc. means. So that's playing with the deck of cards. Tarot's images and deck actually consist of the major arcana and the minor arcana. The major arcana includes 22 trump cards. You remind me what arcana means again? Um, I, I believe it's story arc, but I don't know for sure what it means, but essentially it's a suit. So like, you know, we have our suits. Yeah. And then the major arcana are 22 cards. Mm-hmm. And then they, those include like symbols. So like archetypal characters or the minor is much more along the lines of our numbered decks with 56 cards, very closely aligned with having the four suit. And my deck that I love so much, the medicine woman deck, it's coins, wands, cups, and swords okay, as the I'm four following. suits. Yeah. So you have your symbols and your archetypes for the major that don't necessarily have a number associated with it, but a word or a symbol. Mm-hmm. And then you have your minor with numbers and symbols. Before I get into reading your cards later, which I'm so excited about, and I think we covered this earlier, but I may or may not have fallen asleep during your last reading. Oh, yeah, we definitely talked about that. So I'm not falling asleep today on you, babe. You better not. I won't sleep on you. I'm like, damn, my future is that dark or that boring. Who knows? Who knows? No, it was very bright every time I read them so bright put me to sleep (laughs) put me anyway before i get into that i would also like to share a little bit about loteria and its heritage and i know you know what it is because of me but for those of you who are not into mexican or latinx culture 
the way I was raised, Loteria is essentially Mexican bingo. And it's also primarily how I learned Spanish. And is, I think another reason why I've been so drawn toward tarot at such a young age, maybe even earlier. So my abuela, my grandmother, would take me to play Loteria every day when we were in Mexico for pretty much the whole summer, every every summer, since I was five or six years old. And the imagery was stunning. And there's always like, just, it's just so, it's pretty. So you have one, essentially you have one bingo card, like you do, like bingo, but they're images. Mm-hmm. And then the caller reads the word that aligns with that image. And that's how you get your bingo instead of a number. What does that have to do with tarot though? I'm gonna get into it. Oh, okay. So because- <laughs> I was like, are you just telling me? Yeah, there's a lot of um, uh, association with it. Okay. Because of the imagery and numbers. If okay. you would, if you're looking at the deck, a, a tarot, or excuse me, a loteria card like mm-hmm. that you're playing with a tabla, they call it. You would look at it and be like, this looks like a tarot. It could be a tarot card. Okay. I and think they look like tarot cards to me. Yeah. And according to the tarot heritage blog, there is a connection indeed to the old card game. Quote, the card images have compelling iconic quality thanks to the more than 300 years of being distilled through European and Mexican folk culture. Several cards share the names, even share names with the tarot. Sun, moon, star, angel, and devil. Two cards resemble their counterparts. The world as Atlas holding up the globe, as we all know, and death with a guy, a, ste- a guy, a skeleton standing with a sheath and a hoodie. We know that one. Mm-hmm. End quote. Loteria was birthed in the late 1760s when the National Spanish Lottery was established and the deck of, and the game boards were soon thereafter printed commercially. So again, mass to the masses. Mm-hmm. Later, during the Mexican Revolution, a French businessman named Don Clemente supplied the army with food and ammunition and soldiers who would then receive little decks of Don Clemente's Loteria cards within their tins and sardine trays along with their bullets. Like, cool. Mm -hmm. But at least, you know, he's giving them something to escape the horrificness of war, you know? Yeah. A little color, literally, with these, Mm -hmm. these printed colored decks. Clemente's cards then became the norm in Mexico. And today, if you do a quick Etsy or Google search, or if you've been to Mexico at all, any part of it, you're going to find Loteria imagery and, and art nearly everywhere. There are also, if you Google that again on Etsy, you're going to find some pretty fucking funny modernized adaptations that I really wanted to share. <clears throat> so, Ames, as I brought this up, I just had to share this with you. So I Googled Trump, Loteria yeah, cards. <laughs> and it's so freaking funny to me because all of them are like just mockeries of him. Well, my favorite one is like a big gaping sleeve, if you can imagine, and then this tiny little orange hand. <laughs> Just poking out. Yeah. Oh, and Mira, sorry, that means look, number 45. He was the 45th president. Oh, yeah. I just got that symbolism. But anyway, there's like a bunch of them, and there's one where he's looks like a little devil, and then there's one that looks like he's got his middle finger up and it says El Pendejo. It's like motherfucker, basically. <laughs> so yeah, I just I just love this adaptation of it. And I even made one for my sister featuring a female doctor that I got custom made. Thank you, Etsy guy. I I will shout your store out. I don't remember right now at the top of my head, but he custom made it to make her look like her. And it says chingona, which means badass bitch underneath the picture of a doctor. Oh, I love it. So, and it's in her office. So besides the stunning artwork, 
and folklore on the cards themselves, modern practitioners or readers of tarot consider those readings akin to therapy and self-reflection. It's like your therapy. Yeah, exactly. It's it's what I do. And and you obviously know that I don't consider myself actually psychic or or fortune teller when I use my cards or when I read for you or anyone else. You keep telling me you're a psychic, though. Lately, I've had some moments. (laughs) I have had. But I really, to your point, I use I use it to connect with my mind, body and spirit. Like what's going on for me right now? How can I use these messages? However, I interpret them for me in my life, right? Specific to Mm -hmm. me right here, right now. Well, how often do you do that? Every full moon. See, that's nice. I feel like a lot of us um, or as a culture, we wait till like New Year's Eve, like once a year. We should all probably spend more time reflecting on and like, yeah, on like what's going on. And I don't know. I think it's a cool practice. Thanks. And as you know, I have my beautiful meditation space that you designed. That was fun. And thank we you. Goods, which is like my favorite place in the world. Shout out Amy Blair Designs on Insta because she's badass at anything art see and design. So thank you. Thank you, girl. <laughs> but that space really transformed and it was able because of what you did was able to make me really feel centered and at home in my meditation space. Mm-hmm. So thank you. I will end it with a Rolling Stone piece that truly captures my personal thoughts around tarot and again around why I think it's so important that even though maybe not everybody believes right that's fine but like you can understand why particularly now present in time that we all need to do that soul searching that you just mentioned so quote this year in particular has primed us all for a bit of soul searching and uh, yes. you think right and since many cities are facing another round of pandemic lockdowns why not spend that extra time finding ourselves in a pack of tarot cards? End quote. So when you think about the 90s, like it makes me think about like bucket hats, which are coming back, obviously. Crop tops. Oh my God. My chokers. sister's wearing them now. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I gotta get on that. You'll get there. And... Also, it kind of makes me think of a cult-like icon from the 90s, Miss Cleo. I loved her. And you might remember her infamous psychic hotline commercials where she would her famous catchphrase was, you can't fool Miss Cleo or the cards never lie. Sure do. There's a very famous Dave Chappelle skit about this. Yes, I love that skit. That's awesome. Oh my God, he's my dude, but that's, yeah. And Miss Cleo's actual name, because we all know, you probably guess that's not her real name, right? Oh, man. That'd be cool if it was. She didn't come out of the womb and her parents were like, yep, let's name her Miss (laughs) Cleo. First name Miss, last name Cleo. (laughs) Her actual name is Yuri Del Harris, but she goes by several aliases in her lifetime including the following, Clemma Lee Harris, Yuri Perry, and Ree Perry. Okay. And makes you question why someone feels the need to rebrand themselves and give themselves a new name so often. She's a lost soul, perhaps, in her cards. She was born in Los Angeles on August 12th, 1962. At the age of 19, she was married, but then quickly divorced at the age of 21. Okay. 
not very surprising. Mm, well, I'm not judging that because, as you know, what I've recently been through. So ain't no I judgment. I know, but getting married at 19, that's so young. I know. And like, I you don't even know yourself then. 100. And even though I wasn't married at 19, I was practically married at 19. And look what had happened was. So you're right. Yes. <laughs> she had two daughters. And I couldn't find much about her background at all. It was very limited. I looked for a long time, but the only thing I could really find was that she was raised Catholic. Okay. In 1996, she moved with her partner to Seattle and opened a theater company where they performed several plays that she wrote. She rebranded herself again, like I kept mentioning. Wow. <laughs> that is kind of an issue at that point. Yeah. And this time she called herself Reperi. So very okay, like, better. yeah, very perfect for working in that industry. And one of the plays that she wrote and she performed, she played a Jamaican character named Cleo. Okay. Mm her company didn't last long before they went bankrupt. The last place she performed and wrote was in 1997. So exactly like almost a year later. Mm. And a lot of her production members said they were never paid. Whoa. Yeah. That's so not okay. She lied and told her employees that she had bone cancer and that her medical costs would prevent her from pain. I'm sorry. You said she lied and said she had bone yes, cancer? Yes. It's one of those things Come where... on. I had a friend growing up one time, he was working, it was like he was 16 and he had like, I don't know, like a crappy fast food job. Or I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but anyway, he lied to them and said that he was in the hospital and he named the hospital and they sent flowers and then the <gasps> hospital reached out to the company. Oh no. No, that's embarrassing, right? That's so bad. Did they fire him immediately? Oh, I'm sure they did. I hope but so. like you don't want to get that specific with your lies. Second of all, don't lie, but if you're sick, all you gotta say is I'm on my period. For the ladies what was out a man? there. <laughs> you can't really say that. I don't know. What do men say? Can they even? I don't know. Anyway, I was just like, don't say, don't lie. You don't Anyone, do if you're young listening, don't lie and say you're in the hospital. Just say you're not feeling well. Right. And, and you, you have don't have to explain. for a reason. So don't ever feel bad about using it. Not using what? Your sick time. Yeah, but you don't have to have an, you don't even have to explain yourself. Right, I'm sick. Using sick time. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. You don't have to be like. In our case, I'm hungover as fuck is what you should read into. But obviously we don't admit that. No, but I feel like- I'm I'll sick today. I also feel like, though, you don't have to be like, I'm sick at the hospital and the address is 1313 East oh God, 56th Street. No, we didn't do that. I'm just kidding. Or actually, I mean, I'm not proud of this, but this past week I said I had a migraine. And it was because I was so Oh, I don't know if I want to say this recording, but I mean, according to work, I get migraines. Oh, me too. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, so where was I? So she... Told, she lied. Yeah, she lied about and she told them she had bone cancer. She couldn't pay them. Mm -mm. And then I don't know how you want to look at this. It could either be like sadly or ironically at the age of 53. So she's no longer with us. She died from colon cancer. Okay. So that's, um, what do you call it? Karma. Karma. I don't, mm. I don't know if you lie about something that's serious for those that actually are suffering of colon cancer. That's. Yeah. I wouldn't wish that on her. You though. know what I mean? Oh no. Of course. You don't wish any disease on anyone. Yeah. So after her company went bankrupt, she moved to Florida and responded to an ad that was looking for telephone operators. She was hired to act in a commercial for the Psychic Readers Network, and the other network was called Access Resource Services. It sounds like PBS, but I know it's not. Yeah. And normally I wouldn't bore you guys with those titles, but it's very important that I call these companies out because I'll get into it a lot in a minute. 
And these companies hired her and she was going to work for a psychic hotline and ultimately became the face of this hotline, Mm -hmm. as we all know from these infamous commercials. In the commercials and in her audition, she decided to act like Cleo from her play, and the company decided that she ultimately should add Miss to it. Oh, boy. Yeah, and this is how Miss Cleo was born. Okay. In the commercials, she would appear as a psychic, and she claimed that she was a shaman from Jamaica. On these commercials, would often feature Harris in a colorful turban in a candlelit room with like incense burning. Lit. Yeah, like just like your cliche, mm-hmm. like spiritual. Oh, I'm so spiritual. Let me have like some incense. The crystal ball. And, yeah, yeah, crystal ball. Like everything you kind of imagine. That's very cliche. And in the commercials, she'd be listening to a viewer, and she would often be using tarot cards as a guide to answer the caller's questions. Mm-hmm. In the commercials, she would often give advice to her viewers. Callers would call in to ask about if their lovers were cheating on them, what to do because they were in a fight with their sister. They would ask her for financial advice. The list goes on and on. Dang. Like any scenario you can ever think of. And Miss Cleo never seemed to bat an eye. She always had like the right solution or the perfect advice, well, in her mind, <laughs> uh, for every situation. And I have to say, when I started to research Miss Cleo, I ultimately... First thing had to hop on YouTube because I remember these commercials, but I don't remember them vividly because it's been so so long. So I uh, got on YouTube. That was like the first thing I did was like watch some of her ads. And I have to say, I absolutely I didn't think I would like her, but (laughs) I absolutely loved her. Like, I just loved how cutthroat she was like she just told it as it is. And like sometimes I feel like if someone was calling me. And saying some of the things they were saying in the commercials, I was like, I hope I'd be ballsy enough to say that. But she was, it was funny. Well, you're, you are a straight shooter, shall we say, in general. So I don't think you'd have any problems. (laughs) I'm Miss Cleo, too. Minus the Jamaican accent and being a psychic and all that. You're like a, um, what do you call it? Like a a gypsy that made her way to England somehow. I don't, I don't know. And one of the ads I watched, I loved how she like told, she literally told one of her callers, uh, she said, if you want to believe it's over and then stop answering his booty calls. Ooh. I feel I like, like I would that. say that to someone. I like that. Very to the point. And I, do you see that in my future? Do you see me, do you see you telling me that in my future? Um, not even a question with a doubt. 200% yes. <laughs> I'm going to have to give you that pep talk. <laughs> No, I already that, know you know it now. He's going to stop after answering my booty call. Thank you. I We'll go back to this recording one day and you'll be like, You're do you right. think I would ever ask you this? And I'll be like, boop, 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 beep. But, let's play this. <laughs> beep, beep, in the sky. Gods <laughs> again. No, I actually did recently ask you this, to be honest with you. So you're right. You're right. <laughs> About someone. <laughs> and hopefully I never tell you this, because this is something else she said, which is kind of messed up. She told one lady that her ex was a lot better than her current boyfriend. Oh God, help me know. No, that's bad. I hope not. That's kind of like... like, like if, if my ex was better then than the new one, ooh, we got... We got major issues in my choice of men <laughs> if that's the situation uh, and I also absolutely loved another thing I enjoyed was like how terrible and shitty the graphics were because in my <laughs> mind 
2000 doesn't seem that long ago, but then you feel old when you watch stuff from back then. We're going to get to shitty design skills in my case, girl. Like, real shitty design. I'm ready for it. But this was like early (laughs) to late 90s. And if you want to, if you're like a millennial in your 30s, watch it. It kind of ages you a bit because you're like, wow. I remember this. Yeah, but it is weird because 2000 in my mind was five years ago. But really, obviously, when you do the math. One years ago. I know. It's crazy. I can't. That's okay. We're young at heart. Exactly. After the commercials had aired several years later, Harris had said that she never claimed to be a medium. In her own words, she was from a family of spooky people. Very vague, right? Uh, okay. And she was well I'm curious. I yeah. Want to know. And she was well versed in voodoo from studying under a Haitian teacher. And then the Psychic Readers Network and Access. Sorry, resource- did you know if that was true or not? The Haitian voodoo part. No, I don't. I'm gonna assume no if she's a thespian, like making that up. She doesn't really have any Jamaican roots. They said that her father might have been from Jamaica. That's the closest tie she had. Okay. But a lot of this stuff was like a character she's playing. Got it. And then going back to the networks, the Psychic Readers Network and Access Resource Services, they instantly told her she couldn't use the word voodoo. They're like, no, don't use that word. It's the devil's work. (laughs) And they basically told her like... turn off our white listeners immediately. No. Yeah, and they were like, (laughs) basically you're a psychic and that's the only phrase you can use. That's some bullshit because it is an actual religion, which we're going to actually cover someday down the line, but... It's very clearly the way that it's presented in mass media. Voodoo I'm talking about is so uh, wrong. Anyway, I'm going to. I'm excited to learn about it. I don't I know like probably the same amount as most people know about it. So it'll be an interesting episode. Yeah, I'm excited to go there because I, I did read a lot about it. The commercials acclaim would claim that the first three minutes wouldn't cost anything for a caller, but it turns out the majority of time, callers would spend that time on hold. And this is so shady. The callers would call a toll-free 800 number, but then the operators would connect them to another number that would start charging them. Oh my, so basically it's like a racket. Yes. Of like waiting on 1-800 call numbers. But they think they're on 1-800 because that's toll-free, but they would call and connect them with the operator. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, okay. And they don't realize they're being connected to another number and as soon as that started happening the time starts ticking and they're getting charged and they don't know any of this but they were never disclosed that that's bullshit no because on the ad which i'm gonna go into this so Mm -hmm. much but basically they would charge five dollars a minute which is five dollars that's like sylvia brown pricing or how much does a lawyer charge they charge that much uh I, I don't know. I can't do that. But they're like hourly rates are insane. That's what I'm saying. That's a lot so of money. So yeah, probably. And then they would be connected. So they'd be charged $5 a minute. And even if they're on hold, they're being charged. Wow. And then they would be connected to Miss Cleo or one of the other quote unquote, I'm going to say psychics, psychics working out of their home where they would do tarot card readings to answer their questions and they would pretend to see the future. So like maybe how, we can get tarot card reading jobs from home. <laughs> uh... No? Could, I don't know. Do you think they pay well? I don't know. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll research. Okay, we'll us. start looking at ads this weekend. I feel like, but well, maybe we could. The company hired many phone actors, so they weren't psychics they were hiring. Wow. And the workers said that they were given a script to work from. Mm-hmm. They were told that the main goal was to keep a caller on the phone for at least 15 minutes. Total pyramid scheme. Because money, money, money. That's all well, they were yeah, after. Yeah, racking it up, yeah. racking it up without the customer knowing. That's so shady. Mm-hmm. 
And then this is probably my favorite part of like all my research is that I found an article from a woman. Her name is Bennett Hudson, and she was actually hired to be a so-called psychic from Miss Cleo. Okay. And at the time, she was a college student who was trying to pay her rent in New York City. Okay. And who, you know, I haven't been there, done that. But yeah, we all been college students trying to pay our rent. Exactly. And at the time, she was working at Gap, and she said she came across an ad for phone actors and was super excited about working from home and not working in retail. And of course, like anyone, any of my friends, that is one industry I've never really worked in. Have you? I, oh yeah. I can't believe I never told you about this. I did once and it was not even a full year. It was fucking seasonal at uh, Express. Remember that store? Yeah. Remember it. What well, do you mean? It's still around. Yeah, it's it was, still around. It was kind of like our like teeny bopper transitioning from tween to like sexy. Like I still love Express. I do too. But anyway, it was my store back then. And I, I kind of actually, you know, I stopped shopping there. So, mm, I don't know, early college, but I did it for the winter break and it was hell because not only was it like retail, which is just a nightmare in general, but they would loop the holiday music on poppy. Like, oh my God, the most obnoxious poppy music. And that's the year I started hating Mariah Carey Christmas, All I Want for Christmas. I love that song. I used to until I had to hear it for eight hours a day on my feet. I have not, I was a lifeguard as a high school, or as high school, as a high school student, I guess. That's pretty impressive. And they played the shit is banana song from Gwen Stefani. Oh, that's my jam. I can't stand that song. Oh, I have memories of going out to underage, <laughs> underage to the clubs. I'm like, mm, mm, we would, yeah, and we but because we listen like top hits radio. Sure. You don't oh, realize how they old. recycle the same songs over. Yeah. Most of the time, I only listen to that if I'm like jumping the car to go to the grocery mm-hmm. store, do little errands, and we're listening to hours on end. And that summer, I was like, oh I can't hear the song one more the time. Chip is bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it brings me back. And then my friends, uh, a few of my friends worked at Kohl's. Oh, God. And they told me that people would take dumps <laughs> in the changing. I'm sorry. Did you room. say like dumps as in like. Yes, yes, that scarred me. I was like, what the hell is going on in this world? How, like little respect, self-respect one must have. And there's a restroom in that. the store. Why do you have to use the changing room? I just can't. Yeah, they would tell me that stuff. And I'm like, oh no, God, no, I can't no. work in retail. Mm-mm. Yeah, so I agree. I recommend not doing it as well. <laughs> well I'm hoping I have to go move back to, you know I mean? I hope I'm moving forward We're in my career. up in the world, girl. Yeah, exactly. And she said she, I thought this was really interesting moving back to Bennett. Uh, she said she applied and said there was basically no questions asked. Like there wasn't really an interview process. Oh my, so she just applied and she got the job on the spot? Basically, like she talked Damn. to someone and they're like, yeah, you got it. And then she cool. said she applied with a friend at the same time and like the guy who was, he didn't interview them, so I can't say the interviewer, but the guy who was giving them the job, approved them, was like really creepy and he like randomly, like totally left field, nothing had to do with the conversation, asked her friend if she was a stripper. Well, that's so illegal. But first of all, I was like, they were just kind of like astounded. Like, what? That makes no sense. We're not talking anything like that. Why do you even think that? And their her friend was just like, no. And then the subject changed and it, they moved on. They just, she said like. So weird. Because the article is from the New York Times and mm-hmm. it was about 10 years later. So she's like kind of recalling on all this. And she, it was just like a little tidbit she mentioned. Like the, it was strange. Okay. And she got hired that summer and she said, uh, I thought this was kind of hilarious. She would often smoke and then she would guzzle cheap wine while talking yes. to customers over her landline, taking it back to like old she school. kind of wins my heart over. <laughs> yes. 
And she said she basically described herself as a 20-year-old who lived in the suburbs her whole life, very sheltered, and was completely clueless about real-life issues. Sure. And you can't really blame her, um, but she was kind of talking about, like, imagine yourself at 20 and then you're having these people call in with, like, big life events that are happening or these big struggles that you and you've kind Mm -hmm. of lived a sheltered life. Could you really have identified with them and helped them? Mm Mm-mm. At that stage, I was so uh, like sheltered. I would not even know what to say to those people. I don't. I, I don't want to say that I was sheltered, but I was certainly not mature enough to handle any life. Yeah, but life. I think you probably lived in a more of a bubble than you realize. Probably. Yeah. I probably did. I think we all did. Most of us did. Um, I feel like at that age, I hadn't been through too much, so I don't think I would have been. I mean, I was a good listener. I don't know if I would have been able to tell them what to do with their lives. <laughs> Still don't. Like, who am I to tell someone to do what, they're li- what to do with their lives? You told me what to do with my life this week, what not to do with my life this weekend. <laughs> and I what, what was it? Not go to the dog park for a certain reason. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was good advice. It was good advice. I can give good advice, good advice occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Because she wasn't actually a psychic, the Psychic Readers Network provided her with a script, like I mentioned, to read. And then this is the funniest part. She didn't have actual physical tarot cards. It was like solitaire, like an animated computer. Like she'd click click her mouse and then it would like flip a card. Yes, yes, yes. I spent, speaking of the 90s, hours playing that shit. And my grandma taught me that actual card game, like physical card deck that I covered in my earlier case about the Malmla cards but she oh my god and then when I learned how to play it on Microsoft Windows oh my god I spent hours doing that I was a Tetris girl oh I played that too but definitely more solitaire I played Tetris even college I played it for hours it's addicting it's Mm -hmm. a good mental just escape but anyway so she had all this so she wasn't even using the divination tools that I covered earlier at all it was just like well she's just telling you like how bad this company was and she said she didn't use like the script she didn't use like the animated simulated tarot cards she just made stuff up as she went along pretty cool and uh, I thought this was funny she said sometimes she'd play a character named Cassandra who was a husky voice southern belle I'm not gonna even try to do an accent who called everyone honey child other times she played gabriel with an accent that i imagine she said or that gabrielle she, maybe yeah sorry gabrielle yeah. <laughs> that's right she became a man man baby she became a man and her name was mott <laughs> uh no and then she said she imagined the accent to be french ish not french but mm. french ish and she said people seemed to like Sandra, the Southern Belle, the best, but she could only do that for so long because her throat would eventually start to hurt. Yeah, that deep husk, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. She would ask the callers questions until she had enough information to make a good guess about their future or make a semi-educated decision what to tell them if they were asking for advice. Okay. That'd be like a cold, hot reading type yeah, deal. Yeah, exactly. You, you kind of hear them out if they give you any indicator of, I'm having marital trouble. Or like mm-hmm. a tone of voice. Mm-hmm. I'm depressed or... And then this is a great quote from the article. She said, when a woman asked me who her true love was, I told her that the spirits were sending me a mental picture of a star. Maybe I'll meet him at a planetarium, I said, affecting Cassandra's confident drawl or Texaco. So, <laughs> sorry, I just wow. think it's... A- <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm like, wait, trying to draw the line between <laughs> the two there. It's quite a difference. Yeah. <laughs> you might meet him at a porter potty or a nice museum. <laughs> I'm sorry, just the, it's like polar opposites, a gas station or a museum. Where am I going to meet my future husband? Circle K. 
Oh, no. Do they have those around here in Phoenix? They do. But the <laughs> you know what, though, from what I've heard is that QTs have the nice bathrooms and that's where all the Uber drivers and truck drivers go because Circle K is like nasty and dingy. OK, and so I'll I'll QT. level I'll love you up to I'll love you. <laughs> You'll allow me to meet my man at QT. <laughs> you're going to meet him at a QT or a like a um a ball like Ooh. where you're wearing a, a masquerade, like ball? a gown ball. Oh, and yes. Yeah, it's going to be one or the two. Just sending me off to a fantasy land now next yes <laughs> <laughs> and back to the quote there was a silence on the other end she said the lady responded my ex-husband is a sheriff the woman said awestruck you know with a batch and then she replied that's, that's so lucky yeah and she said, that's it get him back he's the one and um bennett in the article she did go on to say like looking back she does feel a little guilty because she was like i was just pulling things like out of air ass. and like she's like i have no I- she has no idea like like for that lady she just told her to go back with her ex-husband she doesn't know what mm-hmm. the, how that's going to impact her life and she said she often wonders about the people she talked to like did she really make an impact did she do a pot like did she make a negative impact okay yeah so it, i mean i well, would, I, yeah, would I, I don't know i feel bad because like recently coming through something as horrific as a divorce like i would hate to have had that been um dictated by a fraudulent psychic like that'd be pretty bad yeah but again, I kind of think it falls on the network because she was 20. She, sure. And I don't really put blame on her because she probably was just desperate for money. And she was like, oh, this is going to be a cushy job. I can drink wine and work at home. Guzzle and, wine. And talk on the phone. And like me and my friend, because her friend was doing it too. It sounded like like probably hang out and have mm-hmm. some laughs. So I feel like at 20, you don't really realize like the way you impact people with like your words. Sure. So I don't really blame her. I blame her more than network that they would hire people who aren't really psychics. Well, and so impressionable. Yeah. And long story short, she said at the end of the article, probably guzzling wine, talking to people late at night. Not much do, do much for her being in college, if you can imagine. I was going to say, wait a minute. Yeah, wasn't she in college at this time? Sure. I mean, I feel like a lot of people were partying. We I, were, listen, I can't tell you how many exam rooms I probably was still drunk in. So, yeah, I mean, no judgment there. I mean, yeah, there's no judgment. I Mm-mm. was partying my ass off in college. But Mm-mm. still, one thing to say is she did end up flunking like all her classes. Like she, oh, and so failed, she, really, and she, she clearly didn't show up or pay attention. Yeah, and she failed. But the cool mm-hmm. thing is, full circle, and she ended up becoming a therapist. Whoa! But I think it's. I think it's to me. I can see the connection. If you were able to connect with random people so well, mm-hmm. well, we think she did so well. Uh, she said people also, which was really funny, is they would call in from Miss Cleo, and she'd pick up. Different accents, obviously Miss, not Miss Cleo. And she said people never once questioned her. Yeah, they weren't. She owns. She has authority. In yeah, that. but it's just funny. They never once were like, "Oh, I called for Miss Cleo." Yeah, again, because she she's owning it. Like I I got this this sense. But yeah, no, I can see her no being a therapist because she probably obviously knew how to communicate with people well, right? And read people well because like for if you were her. doing an okay job, it's a hard job, man. Yeah, and tying it back to the networks, the Federal Trade Commission said almost six million people called in from these commercials six million yeah it's a lot of people wow and this is the bigger um wow they racked up to one billion dollars in charges the average billion that's insane Mm mm-hmm 
The average phone call costs about $60, which seems like a steal after we discussed Sylvia Brown episode one. $1,400. Well, $700 a phone call for half hour. And if you had an hour, it was like $1,400. Yeah. <laughs> steal. Yeah. A steal. <laughs> Bargains. <laughs> half off. Bargains. Don't lie. I talked to some random lady who's cuckoo for $700. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> <laughs> so scary. Mm-hmm. Anyway, keep moving. Sorry. A lot of callers were blindsided by the fact they were being charged at all, and a lot of people didn't end up paying their bill. A lot of callers complained that they were overwhelmed, like they were getting like emails and collection letters. And, oh, I could see that. And calls, like to pay the their collection bill. Collection calls. Yep. That's so fucked up. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. When these people are already vulnerable, and and now you're going after them financially, like. That those networks are so mm-hmm. predatory. Five hundred million dollars in customer fees. But I guess five hundred million is nothing compared to six billion. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, that's true. That's, that's like so nothing. unacceptable. That's a penny to them. That's crazy. A when fraction. You, when you think about it that way. Yeah, that's bullshit. The main argument of the lawsuit was that they made a false promise in their ad that it was free. So basically, false advertising. Absolutely, and that is a. One, you know, my background in marketing journalism, like I know that. So you can't do that. You cannot make a false claim. Our university does. <laughs> <laughs> the networks both agreed to stop selling their services over the phone, and they also had to pay a five million dollar fine, which is like, again, nothing. nothing. Yeah, I feel like companies just get away with murder, basically. They do, and they so, still are right now. It's with so the, unfair. With the, um, J and J, who else is right now? Merck, the opioid crisis, people. I think it's J and J and Merck. <sighs> it's heartbreaking. I, I, don't there's, quote me on that. I because. mean, there's so many, and like global warming, how we don't hold companies mm. uh, like responsible. Nobody. I mean, I could go on and on. Yeah, same. Let's not get into Thank that. You. That's another sad, tragic topic. So there's a sad topic for another day. Harris was not charged with anything because she did not own any part of the company. She was just an employee. Miss Cleo. Just yeah. Harris, Miss Cleo. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been calling her Harris and Miss Cleo, so it might get a little confusing. So when I say Harris, I'm talking about Miss mm-hmm. Cleo. She was upset that her reputa- reputation was ruined by the lawsuit because of all these lawsuits, a lot of people believe that Harris and people still to this day believe she's in jail if they don't know she's dead. Whoa. Um, That's kind of sad, too. Yeah, I do. I do feel for her a little bit because I do... <laughs> feel like she was just an employee but she really is the face of the company sure. and she wasn't really the one who thought of the company or it was like the brain power behind it she was just kind of like the one who was the face for it i think she got manipulated herself i go back and forth a lot I really like i think so i mean she was desperate and vulnerable too and i don't know i that's messed up there i don't think she's totally innocent though i think there is a fine line of like she was willing to pretend to be a psychic and i know she was acting in the commercial so maybe i should be a little more forgiving yeah she is an actor but there's other things like where she didn't pay her that is that's messed up yeah and the lying about cancer that's not cool Mm. no i i i'm a little torn with her as a person okay I see a little bit like she was taken advantage of and then she kind of like fell on the sword for like this company, not willingly, but she is the face. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I go back and forth. I don't have a clear opinion on her. If anything, she should have gotten this is the creative ad marketing PR person in me, but like she should have gotten and she probably didn't know how or that she even should do this, but like she should have gotten, um, rights to her likeness and image and likeness let's just like they're doing in the ncaa right now like all those college players that are in the sports games they're 
there's a lawsuit pending that the NCAA has to pay them for their image and likeness. That's sorry, awesome. NCAA does not have to pay them. It's the games that make and use their image and likeness, which they should. It is their image and likeness. So fuck yeah. I think it's so wrong um, that football players, any type of athlete from a college isn't getting paid because they make so much money from them. That's mm-hmm. so wrong in that, my opinion. That too. So yeah, the, not only are the universities and colleges making money off these, these young kids, but the the gaming aspect exactly like they're, they're, that's your image that's your face and, and, and anybody in advertising knows like you better motherfucking pay me for my image and likeness well it's so funny you say that because I have a little tidbit about that in a second I'm gonna go over okay but she feels like that the media portrayed her as like as a, as a monster mm-hmm. and from the interviews I read uh, Harris portrayed herself as a victim to all this. Okay. She said that the people she worked for didn't want people to know she was an accomplished playwriter. Oh, well. It's kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Does that really matter? Um, <laughs> that part was kind of like, oh, whatever. Uh, she claimed that the fame caused a lot of emotional pain and she didn't make much money from it. This sure. part, my jaw literally dropped when I read it. Okay. And... Wait for this. So most psychics that worked for the company were making around 14 cents a minute. And she was on the higher set side and she was only being paid 24 cents a minute. Oh my God. Not even 10 cents more. Get out of here. Which is about $15 an hour. Overall. Back to retail. Hell no. Yes, yeah, it's early. She is like early 90s. Oh, okay, right. So, so it's a little then, bit more, but it's not a lot of money. No. And said overall. So think about the millions and billions of dollars. Billions, they made. as you said. 600 billion, you said, or six billion. Yeah, but imagine all the money they made from her, like, from her acting. Right. And she only earned $5,000 from the commercials. Over her whole span. That's what I, what I found. No, that's, that's, that's criminal. I feel that's like criminal. it. And so after her commercials were taken off air, and people today still like absolutely love her. I still um, do. I'll admit it. I still do. She is still today, or not today, sorry, she's dead. Rest in peace. But she, after she was a practicing psychic, and uh, at that time, she would charge around like probably from her fame and like people knowing her. Mm-hmm. She would charge around like $75 to $250 for a session. Which still, is still nothing compared yeah, to... Yeah, for kind of being like a celebrity cult-like icon, you think you could charge a little bit more. 750 an hour like someone Maybe. else you covered? But you would think like... <laughs> I don't know. You would think rich people would be like, it wouldn't be cool brag to go home and be like, oh, Miss Cleo read my cards. Yeah, you'd think. Man, that's so... Mm-mm. And I thought this was really interesting. In 2006, Harris's teenage godson inspired her to come out about her sexuality in an interview with The Advocate. Okay. Uh, she great, said that he great publication, by the way. She said that he was 16 when he confided in her that he was gay and that she said that his confidence of not being scared about coming out inspired her to do the same. Oh, so that was like pretty late in her life. So you kind of have to think about like that part's heartbreaking. The late the fact that she like never truly got to be herself for much of her life Mm -hmm. because she died shortly after that. And then I don't know. I'm like kind of torn with her because I feel like she didn't really she had probably had identity crisis because she sure was faking this Jamaican accent, which she would do on and off camera. Okay. So she like became Miss Cleo even off the line. Yeah. And and then she had all these names like, and then she didn't ever come out about the fact she was gay. So it kind of makes me feel like she didn't really know who she was. Mm -hmm. Like she was a lost soul. So part of me feels for her. I, I totally lean that way. 
And she said that she held back for so long. And the quote from the article, the advocate explains it best. The reason it's scary is because in my personal experience, black cultures throughout the world have a more mm-hmm. difficult ty- time accepting homosexuality in their family. Mm-hmm. I have family members who will be shocked. When I came out to a few friends in the 80s, I had a number of friends who turned their backs on me and walked away, which I think is like so absolutely sad. heartbreaking. Like you like that's the hardest thing someone has to do. And then for like your close friends not mm-hmm. to accept you or your family you know it's it's awful I sort of adjacent to that as you know in a personal relationship of mine and it's I've been seeing it for 15 years and it's really really sad um to see this person have to wear a mask um their whole life and it's like wow like you can't even be who you are on a daily basis and like not that I understand it but I would think that the fact that when you are able to tell people it's probably the time you've accepted and you accepted yourself you accepted yourself exactly yep shortly after this in 2007 under a different name again this time she released a spoken word poetry album called convicted for my beliefs and full moon madness love that name i knew you would i love it too hardcore and i actually i listened to a little bit of it not much because i was kind of i was like i didn't have much time i'm gonna look it up but it was good and she said she wanted to express herself after the 2007 campus shooting that happened at virginia tech yeah i remember that and i will tell you once again she's faking a jamaican accent during the album too well i think that's the only thing she knows how to make an income maybe so this is my question i wanted to ask you so she do you think like if you were like her let's say her godson she obviously was close to who came out to her Mm -hmm. they had a close relationship do you think she was like using a jamaican accent when they were hanging out or do you think she was just using her normal voice or do you think that she did it so much she just normally talks like that or do you think she ever got tired and she's like damn i just want to talk like my i don't think i think she didn't know she was doing it anymore because it became so much of her character like very good actors do right like i think we discussed jim carrey like became his character. Yeah, people get worried about him when he play like depressive characters. They'd be like worried because he would mm-hmm. become so much of that character. Exactly. So that's I'm assuming because of her acting and theater background, that's what happened to her. Like she just Cut. lost she got lost in herself. Or got consumed by it. But it's just interesting. Yeah. I was just wondering if she like ever shut off and just talked the way that felt natural. No. Uh, and I think I told you I was watching recently um, the Halston show of a really famous... Um, oh, I started that. The uh, first scene is from Fashion my, designer. The very first scene's in my hometown. It is? Well, I don't know. I need... Filmed there or like... Supposed to there. be there. Got it. I don't oh, know like he, when he was a little boy, right? Yeah. I, oh my gosh. I, well, I'm from Mount Vernon, but Evans was like... 10 or 15 minutes away. Oh my away. God. Well, anyway, as, it, as the show progresses, you'll see him going from a little country boy to famous fashion designer and he transforms his entire persona, not only, but his accent is like, it becomes actually very theatrical. Like, no, no, Yeah, I'll have to watch it. I just watched so, like a few minutes of it and I was like, whoa. Well, and by down. the end of the series, he's still talking like that even towards the end of his life. So I'll have to watch it. Oh, and this is like totally goes back to what you mentioned earlier and I like you called it. Okay. So I think this is interesting. So in 2014, she was asked to be in a commercial acting like Miss Cleo for French Toast Crunch. The commercial was quickly taken off air because the lawyers from Psychic Readers Network said that this character infringed upon their intellectual property rights. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised they still exist as a network, to be honest, but 
and because this commercials look too similar to what she had done for them. Um, That makes me so mad because she created the character, but after studying intellectual property law, just a very minuscule part of it in my recent master's program, you, you actually can't do that legally. But it's so frustrating because she created it. They didn't. Yes, they paid her, but they didn't pay her to create this person. She did it. Out of her own volition. And I also feel like a certain extent, like, they didn't pay her jack shit. Let her, let her go act for a commercial and make a little money. Exactly. Because I'm sure French Toast Crunch were paying her a lot more than they paid her. Absolutely. And so, maybe you don't have the answer to this, but did she ever get her own lawyers to fight back? Probably not. It doesn't sound like it. Because so they, they, they immediately the just, yeah. they, they aired it and then it, like shortly or after they just took off air right away yeah so if she had lawyers it and it would have probably went back on air well the cereal brand i don't know which one it is if it's kellogg's or um what's the other one post there's one more too but i don't know what brand it is they probably were like fuck it we're not gonna do our corporate lawyer fees just for this one commercial yeah i could see that too it's like not worth it right anyway so to kind of wrap up my story eventually she came around she said she made peace with her time as being miss cleo she said she describes herself as a sensitive person but through this experience she like grew some thick skin and she kind of like she was the butt of so many jokes for so many years so sad but she said she finally was like able to laugh a little bit at herself and at the time she worked at the psychic network like probably was like the only way you could cope a little bit like what else you're gonna do right gotta laugh a little bit and she said uh in an interview actually her favorite bit which you mentioned earlier was the dave Chappelle show when he did the whole oh she was still alive when 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 that aired yeah oh my gosh okay so she said that's probably like her favorite spoof like funny bit about her so good yeah so i think like full circle she kind of came around and that was kind of like maybe that was her way of coming to peace with it because there wasn't really much she could do it's not like she had money to go hire expensive lawyer to come after these networks because these networks were worth they, billions. They, well, they, they, pardon the language here, but they raped her of her money and her rights, frankly, I think. Exactly. And so Miss Cleo, to me, is so interesting because I went into this not knowing any of this. I thought she was like the brain power behind everything. It was kind of like her vision. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me start these commercials and have people call me. Right, you like, thought she owned the network. Would you think that? I did. Yeah, I did. I think everyone did. Yeah. I don't think Because she was literally the mess of the brand, like you said so many times now. Like, she was it and uh, yeah I would assume but so I have I do think she's a victim I do think she did some questionable things in her life don't really believe she was a psychic I think she was a great actor mm-hmm. obviously she was writing plays and acting so obviously sure. she was very good at it so all around I would say I don't think she's a terrible person but she did some very questionable things I don't think were right but I do in a sense feel a little bit of sorry I feel sorry for her in a, mm-hmm. a way no I, t- I totally and do. I told I to me when I read all this I was like wow this was not where I was thinking the story was going and once again like I'm leaning towards this person isn't a piece of shit they just were given circumstance see look I'm challenging my own beliefs here I don't think she's a terrible person at heart she just was really given no pun intended a really shitty deck of cards yeah and you can imagine like I was trying to think about like the fact that her company went bankrupt Mm -hmm. and like can you imagine like you probably owe so Mm -hmm. much money and she couldn't pay these people that Mm -hmm. The depression that must have sent her And that she was, like, desperate for work, so she sees this 
ad in the newspaper and mm-hmm. she's like, well, let me try this. They hire Amelie. So my take on Miss Cleo is I go a little bit back and forth. And if you're very interested, I definitely say check out her album called again, Convicted for My Beliefs and Full Moon Madness. If so anything, cool. it is what my mother-in-law loves to say. She likes to say everything's a hoot. <laughs> she does. Oh. She's from the Midwest. She <laughs> says everything's a hoot. Anyway. Oh, I love it. I love it. And that is my story. I, awesome. Really I great job. Am, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm a fan. I'm team Cleo. I this. am too. Deep down. And I like... I love her. Like I said earlier, like I can't, I can get behind a woman who has like, doesn't put up bullshit. Like, listen, honey, mm-hmm. if you want a man to respect you, stop answering his calls. You know, that's what my girl tells me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really funny that you earlier talked about like crappy design from the 90s because we got something coming up in my case for my tarot expert that girl, that design. Mm, Mm, it's upsetting. Okay, yeah, so basically, you kind of did it for me, the segue. We're going to hand it off to Krista now. Okay, are you ready for me to jump into Mary Kay Greer? Am I ready? I hope so. It's going to be a little wacky and funny. I think you're going to get a hoot out of some of my commentary today. So I will start out by saying that Mary Kay Greer is thought to be presently regarded as the modern day quote unquote godmother of tarot. I'm just looking at your face. Um, In the tarot world, I should preface that. So this is her bio from her website. Just check out her website first and foremost. Like I need you to look at it because it's hideous. Like in what way? Just look at it. Just motherfucking look at that shit it's a shitty ass 1989 circa 90 website clearly a wordpress and it's like i can't like if you're trying to be a modern card reader you might need a little inspo or makeover in the design department just gonna start off by saying that the pr girl's giving some hate i am and i'm really irritated by this website like if you want to represent the practice like you got to represent and you got to look good. This shit, it, I keep going. I have more commentary. So she's out of touch. Quite a bit. I mean, just look at the, it's just heinous. Like, oh, honey. Anyway, I have it more. Lo- it looks like a shitty fifth graders, like, report. Like, like a <laughs> yes. report or like. Yes, it does. Or Holy they, like, shit. built a website for their homework assignment. Oh, my God, it does. Like, coding 101 in the 90s. Oh, God, it's horrible. Anyway, sorry about it, Mary Kay. I, I just can't with it. I keep on thinking of Mary Kay, the... Uh, Olsen twin? No, the makeup line. Oh, yeah. Did you ever get sold that shit back in the day? I did. My friend, Stephanie, swears by this crazy... Oh, no, that's Avon. Oops, competitor. She swears by this, like, anti-aging thing. I went to something. It was supposed to be a free facial, and it ended up being that... What kind of facial we talking about? No, but ended I'm up about being, some fillet face. <laughs> they ended up me putting on the products on my own face, and then they're trying to like suck me into the cult. So, so you got sucked into a Mary Kay makeup cult? Well, I didn't actually. I just bought a few things, but I didn't actually sell Mary Kay. But they tried. Oh, damn, girl, was it a friend of a friend type bullshit? It was uh, like my roommate was sold into it, and she brought me along. Oh, honey. Does she still do it now? I'm just No, she never did it. Oh, okay. Me and her the whole time we're sitting there like, how how do we get out of this situation? And she's like, she felt bad. She's like, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. She sold it as like a free facial. Well, I'm glad you didn't get sucked in. 
to a multi-level marketing scheme. Thank you for using your wit <laughs> as always. Uh, anyway, back to Mary Kay Greer. Um, this is the bio from her shitty website that is also replicated in the book that I own right here for show and tell. Um, I will get into that in just a minute. This book is called 21 Top Tarot Techniques and published in 2008. Quote about Mary's bio. Mary Kay Greer is a scholar, writer, teacher, and professional tarot consultant with more than 40 years of experience in tarot as an author and teacher. She advocates as a revolutionary approach to learning and using cards that emphasizes personal insight and creativity. As an expert tarot reader, she works as, oh, you're going to love this, a quote, midwife of the soul. Wow. (laughs) Using techniques that are interactive, transformational, and empowering. Uh, And, oh, nope, not done. One more line. Mary is the founder of the Tools and Rights of Transformation. Guess what that acronym is? Tarot. Oh. Catchy. You got that marketing Mm -hmm. down, girl. You got your design. Anyway, and she is the member of... Oh, God, you're going to love this even more. (laughs) Sorry, I can't. Okay, and she is a member of many international tarot organizations. She is a featured speaker at tarot conferences and symposia around the world. Tarot conferences? Yeah, that's end quote. I want to go just for the people watching. Yeah. So Greer is the author of nine tarot books. Again, I do own one, so I shouldn't be talking too much shit. Her latest book dropped 10 years ago. Also out of touch. So all her books are like how to use tarot cards, basically. Um, mostly this one that I'm about to mention is Who Are You in the Tarot? And that was published in 2011. The book I own, again, is called 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card, published in 2008. This actually, this will shock you even more, won the cover award for best divination book. Who knew there are Addies for tarot? Was it competing against the Bible? <laughs> That's a great question. I, feel like that one I have would, no idea. I think that one would probably like win every year. Win. <laughs> Jesus wins every time. God damn it. Not again. Oh, damn it. Jesus. Um, it gets better. You're just outshining all of us. <laughs> um, but it gets better. She also was presented with two tarot specific awards at said whatever symposiums 2007 international tarot lifetime achievement award wow and the 2006 mercury award from the mary redmond foundation for quote excellence in communication in the metaphysical field end quote so that makes me feel like you're winning an award for being like the best bullshit artist I can't deny that one on. Yeah. you. Yeah. Anyway, I am tending to agree with you on this. But all right. Greer is touted again in her bio as also an academic. According to said bio, she has an MA in English literature and was a faculty member at the New College of California in San Francisco for 11 years. So she's good at creative storytelling. Bingo. I'm going to get to that a little later. And I really think that she... I'm assuming the English major, she's a creative writer. So therefore you can make up people's narratives. Exactly. You're way ahead of me, girl. So here's where we're going to veer really quickly right back to my woo-woo versus her academia experience. Again, you're going to love this. Oh my God, I can't wait. She is an arch priestess slash hierophant in the Fellowship of Isis and is a self-proclaimed independent and professional tarot consultant. So what the fuck is the Fellowship of ISIS, you ask? Sounds like a um, terrorist organization. Oh, fuck it is. I just 
realized that it is is an acronym for one. But Isis actually is, I believe, a goddess in Egypt. So I think that's what this one stands for. So I asked myself, what the fuck is this as well? Googled it. And once again, website ain't doing much to boost the reputation or credibility of those in the metaphysical wellness community. Like, Honestly, y'all need to consult the ancient artist who we kind of discussed in my case earlier or my history earlier, rather, um, who made the original tarot. I mean, you saw how beautiful and mm-hmm. intricate they are. They are like both sites are outdated. Shitty ass word presses. I have a lovely a screenshot again for you. Not impressed. Yes, I'm being judgy. Bitches need a PR campaign. Like, what the fuck is that? It's yellow for those who cannot see with a shitty sidebar, no nav bar, no logo, no nothing. You know what that actually reminds me of is the recreation site. The government has two book uh, campsites. Oh, it does. Yes. And the only reason I say that because everything that tends to be run by the government doesn't tend to run very well. Bingo. (laughs) Well, clearly same thing in metaphysical organizations, evidently. Y'all need some updating anyway. <clears throat> the Fellowship of Isis, uh, beside its hideous website, is quoted as such. The Fellowship of Isis, or FOI, is a peaceful society with members worldwide from all cultures, races, and religions. It honors the divine feminine in all of her forms and the good in all faiths. The FOI manifesto provides its basic principles. It was founded on the vernal equinox of 1976 by Olivia Robertson and her brother, Weird, uh, we'll get into that. Lawrence Duran Robertson and his wife, Pamela. Again, with the cousin's mother, brother, sister, like the founding of this, like y'all need some copy editing as well. I'm really annoyed. I, I just can't. You need help and credibility if you want to and have any hope of streamlining people into believers. Anyway, continuing. We don't have time to get into the manifesto of the Fellowship of Isis today because we're covering Mary Kay Greer. So back to her life and her renowned work as a tarot card reader and educator from wikifamouspeople.com. Greer was born October 14th, which do you know what that means? Sorry, September? October 14th. Oh, she's a Libra. Yeah, girl. I'm going to get you in this real quick. October 14th, 1947. So making her Libra like me, as you figured out, her primary income source on this site is apparently quoted uh, as a writer and her estimated net worth is... About 100K to 100 million approximately as of 2019. Wait, it ranges from 100,000 to a million? Uh-huh, which I was questioning that as well. So this source seems sketchy as fuck at best, but I did wear my special Libra shirt today in honor of my fellow Librans. Um, yay. It's basically like I'm a hippie girl and I have a mouth of a sailor, heart of a lioness, and or something of a hippie. Anyway, I can't read it upside down. Greer was heavily influenced by the writings of Eden Gray, Carl Jung, and Joseph Campbell. These three men all did psychological work on archetypes in the 1980s to 90s. Their work gave way to a new generation of tarotists, which also weirdly sounds like terrorist, (laughs) including Greer, um, who published her first book, The Tarot for Yourself, a a workbook for the Inward Journey in 1984. So these new wave of readers, uh, including Greer, uh, saw tarot as a more self-reflection tool for personal growth, more than a godly or divination practice, as we discussed in my case earlier. As things went forward, religious groups would paint tarot as the, quote, devil's work or tool, not a personal reflection tool. So religions basically would hate on tarot cards. Exactly. they were like Satan's tool. Exactly. Okay. 
Yep. So here's just another hideous design of another book of her first book. Who are you in the tarot? Ooh. <laughs> I can't. Um, in addition to her nine books, Greer is featured on countless metaphysical slash spiritual podcasts. She even has one or had one of her own. Couldn't tell because of the fucking website that was so horrible um, that was embedded on there. But I stopped listening because, frankly, even I was bored. OK, someone who's interested in tarot bored. Anywho. <laughs> so she doesn't know how to captivate an audit audience. Not digitally, not personally or auditorily. Correct. <laughs> so anyway, that said, she's also often quoted on anything to do with tarot and reads in the form of cartomancy versus the oracle style, which we also discussed in my case. So the cartomancy, just to recall, focuses on one's own self-introspection and turning inward. Much of what the renowned psychologist Carl Jung studied and how that like the psychology of tarot basically is what mm -hmm. he studied. And here's a quote from Mary Kay in the same Rolling Stone article I used in my my intro. Again, that title I love, not just woo woo, why more people are turning to tarot for self-help from December 2020. And this is Mary Kay, you're quoting being quoted in that article, quote, Jung believed a person could use an intuitive method to understand through tarot's reflecting the collective unconscious into a, quote, cloud of cognition, the meaning in a present prevailing condition, end quote. So Greer's creative inspiration from Jung can also be seen in the book Tarot and the Archetypal Journey, the Jungian path from darkness to light. The book's actually fully written by Sally Nichols, but Greer wrote the foreword to that book. In the book's Amazon description, it says, this highly innovative work presents a piercing interpretation of the tarot in terms of Jungian psychology through the analogies into the humanities, mythology, and the graphic arts, which, as we discussed, not great in her realm. The significance of the cards is related to personal growth and what Jung termed individualization. The major arcana becomes a map of life and the hero's journey becomes something that each individual can relate to in one's personal life. I think it's funny though, going back to religions hating tarot cards, if people are using tarot cards as a reflection tool, it's almost like some religions hate critical thinking. Oh, 100%. Or, like, or when you start to question things. Exactly. I and mean, you know what that stems to? Our next week's case is cults, right? Mm -hmm. Most religions, I would argue, could be considered a cult because they don't want you to think for yourself or question. So back to Young's concept of individualization. It's typically reserved for highly capital societies, which is why I was super surprised to learn that tarot rose in popularity as a divinization, divinization tool. I'm screwing that word up all over the place. Di fortune telling tool in Japan in the 2000s and uh, 2010s. And I'm surprised because from my study in abroad in Japan in 2019, I learned that the Japanese are actually all about the collective good, not the individual. So for example, when I went around to different agencies or um, a record company, a media company, a newspaper, everyone has to get the other, everyone's opinion and agreement before they move on and making a decision around the table. So it could take a really long time. That could be really frustrating. To uh, come to any creative decision or, or strategic decision, right? So yes, it's great that they're not all about the selfish individual, but also could take up like, you know I what mean, I mean? It's, it's almost like one extreme to the next. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's meet in the middle. Do most of us agree? Okay, good. Let's move on. Yeah. That's, that's not how they usually run business in Japan, but Mitch may explain why the rise of interest because they were like, well, shit, I can't be an individual at work 
or in society. Let me try to find some individualization on my own. Anyway, that's just my opinion. With the boom of digital publishing, tarot grew worldwide, as we also discussed in my case, and so did the individuation individuation mind. Tarot also became the avenue for self-expression, empowerment, and especially for people in marginalized communities like feminist um, or anyone in the LGBT community, plus community. Tarot actually became a way for these groups to seek inner peace, solace, and strength. Greer also quotes Jung once again in the Rolling Stone article. Jung believed a person could use a quote intuitive method to understand through tarot's reflecting the collective unconscious into a cloud of cognition, meaning that you're going within to you. You're using tarot to go within, essentially. And that was a really like psychological way to say that. But yeah, basically, you're just using it as a tool to reflect. Exactly. Um, so a contemporary of Greer's uh, named Melinda Lee Holm sees it this way too. And she says, interacting with and learning the language of tarot can help us understand ourselves and each other. If we understand these universal things about ourselves, you recognize that everyone goes through these things. And that brings us to a common ground. It makes us more compassionate. FYI, Holmes is LA based, also a high priestess (laughs) and tarot practitioner who frequently works with music insiders. And her husband, back to last week's case, happens to be one of Paul McCartney's go-to DJ producers. Wow. That's Chris cool. Holmes. So I thought that was kind of cool. A little, little tie it back. Yeah. To wrap it all up, there's very little else known about Greer, her family and her family, other than this very tiny ass footnote on her outdated website. This quote, I have a picture of it. I'll show you. Um, this was my great grandmother, Alice Southers Strathy in Gretna, Louisiana in 1912. She had the site knew some voodoo and red cards and tea leaves for whoever needed her help. On the right is my great-grandmother and my mother. Grandmother and my mother in 1919 in front of my grandparents' house across from the Davy Crockett Firehouse in Gretna, Louisiana. So there's some cool old pics um, of her. The more healthy skeptical that I'm becoming and learning to become thanks to you, friend, uh, Ames, I am starting to see in... Greer's bio and anything about her background or childhood is likely intentionally vague, uh, much like her styles of reading, allowing the querent or the person being read to decide their own narrative and their own story. Again, the moral of the story and her character, the only things that I think that she's actually guilty of is one, shitty design and taste, covered that, two, writing fantastical fiction. Right. As we said, because remember, she has an MA in English, which would allow her to create narratives. And I assume that, again, that English major involved creative writing. So while fantasy, believe it or not, isn't my go to genre or, um, you know, if she's creative writing, she can easily make up very short narratives for others. And probably narratives that could fit anyone's situation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But to my knowledge, she's never claimed to give those creative narratives to clients as as malice, nor has she ever claimed to be a fortune teller or divining for anyone else. She, well, to me, it sounds like she just uses the tarot cards as a way for self-reflection and help others. It's almost like she's a therapist through the tarot cards. That was so deep. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, so really, Greer allows people the time, space, and the opportunity to reflect on their own lives through tarot. Exactly what you just said. And what's more divine than that? Nice. I like it. The bottom line, I think she's actually a decent human. Okay. 
so we actually have a good person. <laughs> I think we might on our hands. So do you like the book you own from her? Yeah, I actually stopped reading it, uh, I'd say, just when I was finishing up my master's program last year. Um, so I'm actually trying to get back into it so I can be more confident when I'm reading myself and others. So in the book, she's basically teaching you, is it about the history of the tarot cards or... I know there's like mm-hmm. different suits. Sure. Yeah, there's a little bit of history, but it's definitely more about how you as the reader can be empathetic and tune into the person coming to you. Like you said, like as a, as a, a therapist, they're really seeking help and, and answers or, or what have you. But they really it, she does it in a way, like I said, I think she's a good person that you're you're being empathetic. You're not just trying to make shit up You're. I think she has good intentions is what I'm. My whole point is. And she's a priestess? Yeah. In, wow. In terrorist organization named ISIS. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the Church of ISIS. With that said, though, head on over to part two of this episode of Tarot Cards so I can read Amy's cards. That is our episode today. And I hope you all enjoyed and maybe find your own self-reflection someday, whether you believe or not. Like what's better than like trying to better yourself in any way exactly that's why i can appreciate tarot cards i'm so glad you do well peace be witches thanks for listening please rate and follow us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and anywhere you listen to your podcasts Check us out on Instagram or bewitchbanter.com. Suggestions for the show? Emails at bewitchbanter at gmail.com. Credits, music, phantom fun by Jonathan Boyle from premiumbeat.com. Podcast edited and produced by Krista Hins and Amy Holt.